I have been um, sharing uh, as we've been walking through Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and as I've been doing that, I have been sharing with you some uh, Hebrew words, and I just want to give a little bit of a disclaimer about that, because uh, I'm going to do that again this morning, just mention a couple of the Hebrew words used there in Genesis 1 and 2, and I just want to say that, um, first of all, I don't know any Hebrew. Um, I studied Greek in college for two years, took four semesters of it. When I got to seminary, they said, well, you don't really know anything, and they had me start all over again, and I took another four semesters of Greek, and today I don't know anything of that either. So I would have to tell you that languages are really not one of my strong suits, Um, but here's the deal. Um, The good news is that I'm just about smart enough to be able to understand what somebody writes in English about Hebrew and Greek. So, that's, that's where I come to you from uh, this morning. <clears throat> so, we're going to start this morning by looking at some verses, and we're going to close out this uh, section on Genesis 1 and 2, and then we'll be moving into Genesis chapter 3. But we're going to look at some verses this morning and close out uh, this, this part of the, the series on uh, Adam and Eve uh, this morning from Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Father God, we just are so excited once again to be able to dive into the most incredible book that has ever been written, the book that was written by the Word of God. We thank you, O God, once again, for the privilege of being able to um, know what you have said to us, how you made us, what you have spoken to us through through the prophets and, and through the New Testament, through the life of Christ. And we pray, O God, today that you would open up the word of God again to us today and speak to us. Let it be streams of living water to our dry, thirsty souls and hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Several weeks ago, when we were looking at being created in the image of God, I said that I would return back to that to talk more about God creating one person in the image of God, and then differentiating them out into male and female. 
That is a truth that I told you at that time is really kind of hard to express in our English translations, but perhaps it is best done, in this case, uh, back in the old King James. And in the English Standard Version that is modern, uh, both of them read word for word the same. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. What you see there is God creating one person, Adam, in the full image of God. This one person. That one person has masculine characteristics and feminine characteristics. So this original man was formed, the original Adam and Eve were formed from this solitary whole Adam. And it was very common Jewish understanding, very common early Christian understanding that that's the way it was done. Rashi, who was a famous rabbi back around 1100 AD, declares the Midrash, which is a, a collection of Jewish teachings, explains that man as first created consisted of two halves, male and female, and they were afterwards separated. So Adam, as we first discover him here in Genesis chapter 1, is not so much a name as it is a, a reference to all of humanity in one person. It is a reference to our species, humankind. But the problem is that Genesis chapter 2 brings to us right away is that God looked at this one solitary being that he had created and he said, though everything else is good, he looked at Adam and said, this is not good, he is alone. Unlike God, God had made us in his image. And God had community. God had Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there was community. There was relationship there. And so when God takes a look at Adam, he says, all there is is Adam. There's no community. There's no relationship. There's, there's, there's none of that. And so God says, I will make a helper for him. And it's interesting, and I'll mention this later, but Eve, the Hebrew, they, they tell us that the Hebrew name for Eve indicates verbal communication. She will help him. She comes along beside him and helps in that area in particular. So God differentiates the one person into two distinctly different people. You have the male, Adam-ish, in Hebrew. And you have the female, Eve, and her name is Isha in Hebrew. And the interesting thing is that all of a sudden you have Adam who is lacking some of the feminine characteristics that are necessary for healthy life. And you have Eve over here who is lacking some of the masculine characteristics that are healthy, or necessary for a healthy life. In order to 
in order to embrace and to reflect that full image of God, we need each other. It takes both a male and a female to best reflect the image of God. Now, you and I are very much aware of all of the masculine references to God in the scriptures. We also ought to, in all honesty, recognize a couple of times in scripture that it, re- it reflects a feminine image of God. The Psalms portray God as a mother hen gathering her chicks under her. In Isaiah, um, God is portrayed as a mother nursing her newborn baby. And then there is the name for God, El Shaddai. And this is such an interesting name for God. El is, is the, the name that means strong God. El. And then there is El Shaddai. Shaddai it is a reference to breasts that nourish me. So you have the strong God with breasts that nourish me. And that's one of the names for God. We even sing a song about that. And the image there is that God, if we want to fully reflect who God is in our world, we need both masculine and feminine, um, a portrayal of all of that. That's incredibly important. And you begin to see right away from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 how God values both, very much, both the male and the female and how one is not healthy without the other. Dr. Donald Joy, who I got to um, learn from while I was at Asbury Seminary, I didn't take very many classes with him. He just wasn't in my area. Um, but he states that the difference between men and women is very clearly evident in our brain construction. In the 16th week of a baby's development, in a, in a male baby, the brain is saturated with androgens, but not before in the 16th week. Those male hormones, they flood the brain. And that bath of hormones uh, permanently alters the left side of a man's brain, where speech production is generally located. (laughs) It also impacts that corpus callosum, which divides the right from the left. And so it kind of makes a permanent cement wall between the two half-brains in a male. Now, a woman... Their brains are just, they can fluctuate and go from one to the other really quick, and you don't know what's happening when. And one moment, they're over here in emotions, and the next moment, they're very logical. And it's all mixed up, and they freely float from one end to the other, and a man is locked. We have emotions, but we can't talk about them because the emotions can't get from this side of the brain to that side of the brain because we got this brick wall dividing our brains. So we have a horrible time trying to communicate how we feel, even though we have the feelings. 
We just don't have words for them because partly because we don't, our language isn't as developed most of the time in males. That's also the reason why in schools, nine out of ten children that are in speech therapy are little boys. I was one of them. Jane Hansen reminds us that speech is in the left brain hemisphere, but emotions are in the right brain. And so that wall that goes up in the male brain between the two, you know, makes it so, again, we, males can have emotions, but they just can't talk about them very well or put words to them. You know, and, and we'll have, we have about three words for emotions that express what we're, you know, frustrated is a good male expression of, you know, all kinds of things. A woman will have 25 different words to describe how she's feeling. And a man will just have one because he can't figure all that out between the two brains and the two hemispheres. Women, that's a whole different story. There's a reason why in Hebrew, Eve denotes verbal communication. Dr. Donald and his wife, Robbie Joy, write about the formation of the baby in the womb. And, and you probably know this, but the mother's X chromosome dictates the body shape of a baby um, very early in, in the life of the baby. Now, the father's chromosome determines the sex of the baby, because either it's the X and the Y, and if it's the Y, it becomes a male. If it's the X, it's a female. But the interesting thing is that until... Uh, about week 16, actually week 9, every baby starts out with a female form. And it's really interesting. You start getting into genetics and all of that kind of stuff. But every baby starts out as a female baby. The boy is formed from an XY combination, but the mother's dominant code still dictates that female body for the customizing job that ends up becoming a male body. Both, both baby boys and adult males carry proof of that as they grow up and, and they have breasts. As, as late as the ninth week, clearly the human fetus is distinctly female in form, uh, complete with internal gonads, which appear to be ovaries, and complete with an open vagina. Up until then, that's how come when, when babies, when, when women miscarry real early, they will always tell you they had a little girl, even though it may have been a male. When they murder children early through abortion, they will often think that they are just murdering girls. No, not all the time because they still have that female-looking body until at least week 9. And then by week 16, it's very clear which sex you have. If anything interferes with the mother's relatively thin supply of androgens and the male hormones for the baby, or there's an ovarian cyst or a problem that elevates her estrogen levels and all of that, that XY 
baby boy might carry a little bit more feminine characteristics than male characteristics and all of that. In some ways, you might say boys are made of little girls. <laughs> but you have all that interesting thing, and, it, and I just bring all of that, not that it's necessary to this scripture, but it, it just weaves in and shows us how God sees the value of both the male and the female and how he uses both of us to fully express the image of God. I also want to say that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 speaks to God's design for sexual expression in exclusively heterosexual relationships. Dr. Jim Garlow is, uh, has been our pastor of the Wesleyan Church in, in Skyline Wesleyan Church in Lemon Grove, um, California for probably the last 20 years or so. And uh, he is retiring from that and moving to Washington, D.C. to head up a ministry there of, of trying to um, engage the political arena more in the things of God and Scripture and all of that. But he says gender issues of which we are surrounded by in our culture today are really and truly spiritual issues. They are the work of Satan destroying and defacing the image of God in man. The image of God, again, is most clearly evident when you bring a man and a woman together to reflect his image. So it is in that one flesh relationship that the image of God shines the brightest. Any other form of sexual expression is to warp the image of God. Homosexuality is a counterfeit of one flesh. It is a counterfeit of the image of God and what God wants to do in our world. What is missing in Adam is found not in another Adam, but it is found in Eve. And what is missing in Eve is not found in another Eve. It is found in Adam. Two of the same things do not fit together. Every electrician and every plumber knows that there are male ends and female ends to everything. And you always put the male end with the female end anytime you do any of that. And for Satan, homosexuality and all the other perversions of sexuality are a means of destroying this one grand truth from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 where God wants us to reflect and to bear the image of him. You and I will do that best when you bring the man and the woman together. Now in ancient cultures, even, even in some Native American cultures, they would actually establish a tent next to where the wedding ceremony took place so that the couple could leave their vows and consummate the marriage. And the crowd would wait outside the tent. And when they would come out, the crowd would cheer and clap because the two had become one flesh in that act. And they were beginning to reflect that one image of God. 
also want to say this morning that this one flesh relationship that we find here in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that image of God is very, very important in the home. For children to best grow up understanding who God really is, it takes a man and a woman, a father and a mother in the home, who both are modeling Christ-like masculinity and Christ-like femininity. Now, admittedly, that doesn't happen a lot in our culture. Admittedly, there are all kinds of unfortunate circumstances that happen in life today But when that happens, I want to say to you, it is the responsibility of the church to step in to be role models for the one out of four children that grow up in a home without a father present. For the homes where children grow up and there is no mother present, it is our responsibility to step in and provide that that full image of God. I speak a little bit from experience here. My father was killed in a farm accident when I was, had just turned five. I had two younger brothers. I happened to be one of the luckiest kids because I had a church. The West Side Wesleyan Church in Bristol, the men of that church They spent the next 12 years, 12, 13 years of my life being there for me. They made sure they greeted me every time I walked in the doors of the the church. They made sure they talked to me. They asked how I was doing. I still, to this day, remember when Vern Golden, I came in, he asked me how I was doing, and I said something. Um, I wasn't real happy that morning, and he grabbed me, (laughs) and he shook my shoulder, and he said, listen here, (laughs) that is wrong, that is not of God, (laughs) and you know what, he was being a father to me that morning that I desperately needed, I would not have gotten that anywhere else but in the church. I still remember Eugene Beeler, who took me and hired me when I didn't know how to do things, (laughs) and I worked for him on the farm, and I remember when he would take me to father-son events. I remember when he would make fun of me for doing something, you know, the hard way, when there was an easy way to do something, (laughs) I remember Eugene Beeler stepping in and being the dad that I did not have. Those those memories make a difference. And I, I shudder to think what I would have been today if it had not been for the men of Westside Wesleyan. I'll guarantee I would not be standing here And I do not know if I'd be a Christian today or alive. 
It is the responsibility of the church to care for those who do not get the image of God fully reflected in their lives, in their homes. Secondly, the one flesh image of God is not to be replaced in marriage by clinging to other things. The scripture says the man and the woman, they cling to each other. And sometimes it is really easy for us to cling to great things, but not the best thing. Things like children are great, but do not cling to them above your spouse. Eve was made for Adam, not for Cain and Abel. While we should be great parents, it's easy to live our lives living for our children instead of our spouse. But what we find out is that what is missing in our spouse is to be found in us, not in our children. God designed us to be partners for our spouse. Children suffer when they end up coming before our spouses. And they begin to think that they are the center of the universe. And they never learn that there is a God that they have to surrender their lives to. And so it's very, very important that this one flesh thing and this coming together and this clinging together be done well in the home. Again, we live in a very dysfunctional culture. But as Christians, we need to do our very best at practicing that, living it out, and then where that doesn't work in our culture, we need to step in and we need to be the church. Because the full image of God needs to be reflected. If we're going to raise up and form young men and young women who are going to serve our culture well, we have to give them the full image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we close this morning, I want to just ask us to do a couple of things. First, I, I think it's important that we as God's people, his creation, pause and just thank God that he made us the gender he made us. And that every one of us gets to reflect his image. It's not just the man. It's not just the woman. We both, women, women reflect a part of the aspect of the image of God in a way that men will never do, and vice versa. And we all, we need each other. And so we need to thank God for the gender that he made us and that he has equipped all of us to reflect his image. We need to thank God that we get to bear the image of God as we relate in community to members of the opposite gender. And then in this broken world of broken relationships and sexual identities and gender confusion and all of that, let us ask God for wisdom in being compassionate to all people, for courage to stand for the truth and for grace to be healing agents and for grace to be healed ourselves in this broken world 
in which we live.